Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how Noah went a long time without hearing from God while in the ark until God finally said, go forth. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from yesterday's message. And because God has gone to so much trouble to put those dates for us and those periods, it means that we're supposed to focus on that. Because you just did not know what was going to happen next, and you didn't know how long what was going to happen next was going to last. You didn't know. You just didn't know. And each face was, you, there were two ways you could look at it. You could say, oh no, what next? Or you could say, this is an exciting adventure. Kind of like how you feel when you're strapped into a roller coaster. Many times did he deliver them. What's that mean? Many times they got in trouble. What's that mean in our lives? Many times we get in trouble, but many times he delivers us. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our expository study in Genesis every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So for those times in the ark when Noah and his family were wondering Are we really going to be saved from this flood? What did they have to rely on? What kept them? What was their stay? What sustained them? What was their assurance? They had, first of all, a command from God, given in Genesis 7-1, at the start of that chapter. The Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. And for the hard times in our lives... What do we have to rely on for assurance? We have a command from God in Acts 16, 31. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Now, not only did Noah have a command from God, he also had a promise from God. What was that? God had emphasized to Noah that he would keep alive himself, and also those that were with him if they went in the ark. That was in Genesis 6, where he said in 18, but with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark. And in verse 19, he speaks about bringing the two of every kind, and he said, to keep them alive with thee. And then in verse 20, he again emphasized to keep them alive. That's just like Noah that we have a promise of God about life. That's the whole emphasis of John 14 through 16, John 3, 16, John 3, 14 through 16, where he speaks about, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This phrase is a promise that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the phrase that's repeated in the next verse of John three sixteen. that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a promise. And so that's what Noah had in the ark. Noah had not only the command of God, but Noah had the promise of God. And from the time that Noah entered into the ark until Noah left the ark, there's no record of God speaking to Noah. 
The only, what we have, as far as God speaking to Noah, we have Genesis 7, 1, where it says, And the Lord said to Noah, Come thou, into, come thou and all thy house into the ark. And then details about who else was to come, the animals. Now, that's the last recorded word that God spoke to Noah that we have. The next time that God speaks to Noah is 334 days later, which is a long time, in Genesis 8, 15 through 16. The next thing he hears is it says, And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark. So he starts off, Come thou into the ark. The next, time he, next word he hears from God, Go forth from the ark. So those were the words. Now, Noah had no word from God, no new word from God in the meantime. How was Noah, I mean, you would have thought that in the midst of this, not an enjoyable experience, to be on the ark, that God would be speaking, and the Lord said, don't worry, keep going. We don't have any record of that. So how was Noah able to sustain himself during this time? Noah sustained himself by holding on to and remembering the command of God and the promise of God that he had received. That's the only thing that Noah had to cling to. That was the word of God to Noah. And he clung to that. And we could just picture Noah during those rough times of the storm. That's the first uh, problem, the storm. And then there was the rough times of it's never going to end for those hundreds of days. That's the next problem, when the patience was tried. And during those times, we can imagine how the devil would speak to Noah and say to Noah, you don't really think that God is going to remember you. I mean, look how long it's been. I mean, you're just, just what, what are you? You're just another piece of wood floating in this mass of water. And the devil would remind Noah, you know what you are? You're just bobbing around, surrounded by death. There's just, you're just floating in a water of death. You're floating in a grave. And these kind of thoughts... The whole world is covered with water. You're never going to see dry land again. And those thoughts, when those thoughts would come and threaten Noah and threaten his family, we can see Noah saying to himself, I remember God's word to me. God told me to get on the ark and I obeyed God. He won't forget me. Noah would say, I remember God's word to me when he said, I'm establishing my covenant with you. He won't forget me. Noah would say, I remember God's word to me when he said to come into the ark and everybody would be kept alive in the ark. He won't forget me. So this pattern of imagining Noah sitting there saying to himself, I remember God's word. I remember God's word. I remember God's word. To help Noah through those tough times, during those long times, with no new word from God coming, Noah held on to, or he clung to, the words that God had given to him at the beginning. That's our picture. That's exactly what we do. In our lives, we see ourselves as Noah. And sometimes we go through 40 days of storm days. You know, like when the doctor says, you have cancer. Let me tell you, that was a storm day. And what do we do? What do we do? What, do we, what did Noah do? Noah did not just remember the word of God. Noah clung to the word of God. And we don't just read the word of God. We cling to the word of God. And then sometimes there's these times in our lives which is just a nonstop rain. It's just days of like being in the doldrums, like Noah was, of life when our patience is tried. 
And God never said to never said to Noah. Now Noah, today is day 243. Just 91 to go. He never told him that. But he just had to keep on going through those doldrums of the rain. And when life for us seems like a doldrum, it's boring, it's monotonous, what do we do? We do what Noah did. Noah did not just remember the Word of God. Noah clung to the Word of God. And we don't just read the Word of God. We cling to the Word of God. We do the exact same thing that Noah did. We take this Bible which is the recorded words of God for us here. And we cling to it. We sustain ourselves by clinging to it. Now, that, that's faith, and that's also patience. That's why in 2 Thessalonians 1.14, when Paul's addressing them, he says something very interesting. He says, so that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God. And then he says, for your patience and faith in all the persecutions and tribulations that you endure. In your patience and faith. See what he's doing? He's, showing, he's presenting to us patience and faith as sisters to each other. Sisters. Faith in what? Faith in God. Faith in the Word of God. Patience and faith. That's the great passage in the book of Hebrews that deals with faith and patience. It starts off in uh, Hebrews 10, is the end of Hebrews 10, goes through Hebrews 12, uh, 11 and 12. End of Hebrews 10 and verses 34 to 36, it says, For you had compassion on me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing, that's faith, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Then it goes on in verse 35. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, that's faith, confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. He says, cast not away. Don't throw that overboard. Verse 35 is telling us, don't cast not. Do you remember the Swiss family Robinson story? You remember that? That Walt Disney gave us. Anyway, but they had a ship, you know, and the ship went onto the reef, and the ship was sinking. It's very interesting. And the most they could take with them in their raft was 300 pounds. So if I was there, that would have been it. <laughs> but anyway, the most they could take was 300 pounds. And there's this part in there where they have to make decisions on what they're going to keep and, or what they cast overboard in the ship. And so they go through, the family does, and they look and they talk and they consider each item and make their decision. And it is all based on, are we going to need this later? Should we keep this or just cast it away? Well, here's this verse for us, and it says here, when you come on the list of things to your confidence in God's word, this verse says, cast not away, therefore your confidence, which have great recompense of reward. That means you're going to need it later. So don't throw it overboard. And then Hebrews 11 goes through, and it's a chapter that's dedicated to not only explaining what faith is, but demonstrating to us what faith is in the lives of others with this beginning title to these people's lives where it says, by faith, by faith. They did this, she did that, he did that, by faith, by faith. 
And finally, we come in the end of the application to it, which is Hebrews 12, 1, where we get to the let us. In other words, what does it mean for us? And it says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So this whole time on the ark was for Noah a time of a massive run with patience. Run with patience. Now, in our lives as believers, there's one activity that we do And that activity is so important that it defines us as individuals. It defines us as believers. And that activity is our lifeline. If we neglect it, we sink. And that activity is not coming to church. It's more important than coming to church. And that activity is seen in the life of the Lord Jesus in Mark 1.35, for example, where it says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. So that activity is referred to as a going out and departing to a solitary place and praying. In John 6.15, it speaks of that, when it says, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. It's going, that activity is departing to a place himself alone. King David spoke of this personal experience of this activity in Psalm 5 verse 3 when he says, my voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning shall I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. So that activity is called in the morning directing prayer to God and looking up. Now, we call it our personal morning quiet time with God. And it's absolutely vital for the believer because what the morning quiet time is for the believer is what an oxygen tube is for a deep sea diver. And so when we skip, which is very easy to do, skip our quiet time with God, it's like being a deep sea diver and allowing someone to step on our oxygen line. And there's some verses here in Genesis 8 which create for us an encouragement for quiet times. For example, verse 1 reads, and God remembered Noah. That's a great way to look at the quiet time. A great way is to look at a time when God remembers me or God remembers us and we remember God. That's a quiet time. During the day, when we're just immersed with the screaming list of we have to do's, we don't call it we can't to do's, we call it we have to do's. We have to do's, all the responsibility. What is all that? It makes us forget God. It takes us away from God. So, in the morning time, the purpose is to remember God, to bring him back. And then in verse 10, it says, and he stayed yet. That's a great encouragement. Tom, today you talked about how Noah went through a long time when he did not hear from God, from the time he said, Come thou into the ark, till the time he said, Go forth of the ark. What should we do when we experience a long time when we don't get a fresh word from God? You know, it happens, and we have to be honest about it and to say, oh, Of course, every day we like to come and, and open our Bibles and have some verse just come alive for us like we've never seen it before. And we walk away and we say, Oh, that was a fresh word from God. I feel so invigorated. I feel so excited because I got a fresh word from God. And people see it in our step and our smile. But that just doesn't happen every day. And sometimes we go through a long stretch 
wretch, when we don't get a fresh word from God, and we feel like Noah just sitting in that ark, and the last thing we can remember is that he said, come thou into the ark, and we don't hear anything, and Noah went for days. Uh, so much a long time that, that he went into that, that ark there and he didn't have, there's no record of any word that God spoke to him. And how do you exercise patience during this time? What should you do when you have a long, dry season? What do you do? Well, fortunately, the Word of God tells us what we should do. And it's very, very wonderful that God gives us instructions for what to do during the dry seasons. First, he says in Psalm 5, verse 3, it says, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. You know what's so amazing about what David says here is that it doesn't say anything about what God's going to do. It just says about what David's going to do. It doesn't say... God is going to speak to me and I'm going to get a fresh word. He just says whether God, in other words, he's like he's saying this, whether God speaks to me or he doesn't speak to me, you know what? Every morning there's going to be consistency with me. Every morning there's going, you can rely on it, God, that every morning you're going to hear my voice. I will speak to you, Lord. In the morning, I will take and direct my prayer unto thee, and I will look up. It's so graphic. It's like we have all these other distractions which are around us, and what do we do? We take our attention, we put our hands around our attention, and we direct our prayer unto God. And sometimes we're so cast down and we're so disheartened that we have to just literally sort of grab a hold of our attention and direct it up to God. And then it says, and we'll look up. And what does he mean when he said, and we'll look up? He will focus his hope and his expectation on God. So this is the first thing that we see. It's what we do. Whether we hear or we don't hear from God, we're saying, God, every morning you're going to hear from me, and I'm going to direct my prayer into you, and I will look up. Now, there's another help for us. It's found in Psalm 42, verse 6, and here we read, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill Mitzar. So here David is saying to him, I am in a terrible state, God. My soul is cast down within me. And it's as if David turns to us and he says, now you know what you should do when your soul is cast down within me? Follow me. And so David says, therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and so forth where he was. In other words, David says, when your soul is cast down within you, that's the time to exercise your memory. That's the time to go back into the files of your mind and remember God. And so what are we to remember? Well, God tells us further in the Psalm 77, 11, where David says, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. That's the time for us to go back and to get a excited about and to remember what God did. So one of the greatest things that he did, of course, the creation is great. Of course, what we're studying here about Noah and the ark is great. But you know what was really great? The exodus, when God did his great wonders to deliver the Jewish people out of the land of Egypt, every single one of those plagues is a wonder of old. It's a work of the Lord. And so we sit there and we sit, we imagine what it was like. What was it like when Moses lifted up his, his, his rod and the Red Sea split? 
What was it like to stand there and to just see water, impossible water, water, water everywhere I see? I can't get over that water. And all of a sudden, Moses lifts up his rod. And as he does, the great wind comes and the water stands on either side. And once you start getting into this, you forget about your troubles. You forget about the dryness in your soul. And you're right back there with the Israelites as they're ready to cross the Red Sea. And you're excited about it. Why? Because you're remembering the works of the Lord and you're saying, surely I'll remember thy wonders of old. And so when you get to the other side with the Israelites there, you're, you're like, you could be Miriam. You're picking up the tambourine. You're, you're starting to beat it and you're starting to talk about the great works of God and how he defeated all those horsemen there of the Egyptians and she talks about how the Egyptian corpses are washing up on the shore. She said, look at them. One minute we were afraid to death they were going to kill us. The next minute we're like saying say to ourselves, anybody set up a morgue? I mean, this is a great wonder of God. This is a great work of God that he did. And so you get into that, and it makes you forget about the dryness. It says in Psalm 77.10, and I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. Yeah, we have an infirmity. What's our infirmity? Dullness of spirit. What's our infirmity? Apathy. What's our infirmity? We don't care. We're not interested. And so he says, yeah, this is a plague I have. He says, but what am I going to do about it? I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. And maybe even we'll just be alone and we'll just sing to God of his greatness. Maybe we'll read about the Exodus and we'll say, we'll sing, oh, Oh, Lord, my God, when I an awesome wonder and will say how great thou art. And then it says in Psalm 119, verse 130, the entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. So we say to ourselves, well, the word is so dry. I'm not getting anything out of my Bible reading. The word of God is like dust. Well, you know what he said? David says, I've had those times. And so you know what I do? I say to myself that the entrance of the word gives light. So you know what? Whether I feel it or not, the word of God's going to go into me. The entrance of the words is going to come in. And as it comes in, it's going to generate light. Why? Because the word of God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one who says, let there be light. And that's what that says, that God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath commanded to give the light of the glory of God in the face of the Jesus Christ. So what it says is that the entrance, so you know what I'm going to be? I'm going to be the one who like makes it enter. And I know that as the entrance comes in of the word of God, it's going to give me light. It's going to give understanding. And then Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13, till I come, give attendance to reading. He says, he says, give attendance to reading. He says, just read. You know what we do so often? We like, we don't take time just to just read, just to sit down, open the good book and just read, read chapters and chapters and chapters and chapters. Just read. That's what God told. That's what Moses told Israel in Deuteronomy 17, 19. It's the, and and he talks about the king. He says, and it shall be with them and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes 
to do them. In other words, the key is reading. Just read. Just read. He went on, but uh, uh, Moses elaborated on this in verse 18 of Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17, 18. Moses said, and it shall be, we're talking about the king, and it shall, and think about the king, with all the king, with all of his responsibilities, with everything he's got to do. He's got to manage the country. He's got to manage the wars. He's got to manage all the complaints of the people because the people complained a lot. And with all these things, and Moses had experience in this, by the way, with all these things, he says, you know what your number one priority is, king? Above the wars, above taking care of the country and everything? I'll tell you. In Deuteronomy 17, 18, he says, shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. You know what? You not only read the word of God, king, you sit there, you write it. What's the king do? Couldn't the king ask for somebody else to write it? Yes, he could, but he would have lost the value of get, of just reading and writing. So you know what, king, your first priority? You read, you write the word of God. If it was the first priority for the king of Israel, what should it be in our lives? Also the first priority, read. As he said in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way. Thou shalt make thy way. You make your way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. As it says in Psalm 1-2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. These are the principles that God gives us when we go through dry times. Thank you for joining us today. Now, we'd like to encourage you to go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Right on our homepage, you can click on Resources, and there you can click the sign-up button to send a free gospel gift of Tom Cantor's personal testimony on DVD and in booklet, and you can have that sent directly to you to give to a lost Jewish person, or have one sent directly to that lost Jewish person, all for free, by going to our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org, or you can call us directly. We'll get a free gospel gift to your hands or to that Jewish friend that you know of. Call us today, one 800 247 3051. That's 1-800-247-3051.